Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aroni. Today is the seventh day of the month of Tammuz, July 6, and this week we are reading the Torah portion of Balak, a really interesting Torah portion with a really interesting storyline. As the Jewish people are about to enter the land of Israel, the Moabite kingdom, headed by its king Balak, reaches out to a prophet by the name of Bilam, asking him to curse the Jewish people. Balak understands that he cannot fight against Jews, and if he were to fight against Jews, he would lose. So instead of fighting with Jews directly, he goes and asks Bilam the prophet to curse them, because he understands that if he can curse the Jewish people, then they will lose their power, and then he will be able to uh, fight against the Jews and win. So the story is that the representatives of Balak come to Bilam with this request. And he says, I cannot do anything against the word of God. I need to ask God if I can go with you. And God tells him repeatedly, don't go with them. Don't curse the Jewish people. Don't bless the Jewish people. We don't, we meaning God and the Jews don't need your curses and don't need your blessings, just stay away. But after he pastors God time after time after time, because he clearly wants to go and curse the Jews because he hates them, and also because he is money-hungry and he knows that Balak will pay him generously, God says, you know what, go ahead, go do what you thing, but you'll see it's not going to work. So Balak gets on his donkey and rides on his donkey to meet Balak. On the way, he gets stuck in this narrow place between two fences, and an angel of God appears before Bilam and the donkey. And the funny thing is that Bilam, the prophet, doesn't see the angel, but the donkey does. And because the donkey refuses to go forward, it sees this fiery angel with a sword, Balak does not see the angel. Balak keeps hitting the donkey until God opens the donkey's mouth and the donkey says, why are you hitting me? I can't go forward. And the representatives of Balak who are there with Bilam see that his donkey has more prophecy than the prophet himself. The donkey sees the angel and Bilam the prophet doesn't. So in the end, Bilam arrives to Balak and they sacrifice animals together. And then Balak places Bilam at different vantage points to look at the Jewish people to curse them from different locations. But every time he opens his mouth, instead of a curse, God puts words of blessing into Balam's mouth. And every time he blesses the Jewish people in a different way. Balak gets so angry that he kicks him out. But before he leaves, Bilam, who hates the Jews at least as much as Balak does, he gives him a piece of advice. And this piece of advice is actually disastrous for the Jewish people. And the piece of advice that Bilam gives Balak is to have the women 
of the tribe seduce Jewish men. And that's exactly what they do. The Midianites and the Moabites send their daughters, including the princess, to seduce the men of Israel. And they're so successful in that, that that starts a plague for the Jewish people. And at the end of the Torah portion, one of the heads of the tribe of Shimon brings a Midianite woman to Moshe and says, this woman, is she, can I be intimate with her? And what he expected was to embarrass Moshe because Moshe Rabbeinu himself married a Midianite woman, Zipporah. Of course, she converted to Judaism before that. And that was also before the giving of the Torah. Moshe is so distraught that he forgets, he doesn't know what to tell him. But then Pinhas, the son, the grandson of Aaron Akohen, goes out and kills the Midianite woman and this prince of the tribe of Shimon together. And this is his vengeance of God. This is the vigilante of the Torah. No, Torah doesn't believe in vigilante approach. Torah doesn't believe that fanatics can go out and be violent. But what Torah does say is that there are certain situations that are extreme, that extreme situations call for extreme measures. And sometimes when the leadership, including Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the leader of the Jewish people, doesn't know what to do when the leadership is torn, when the leadership is shut down, when Moshe is out of his element, there will come a person, there will come somebody who will take leadership in their own hands. And in this case, it's Pinchas. And what the Torah does say is that in some very, very extreme cases, there is room for people to take law into their own hands. But we have to be very careful with that. Because generally, Torah looks down on violence. The Torah disapproves of violence. And the Torah believes that everything has to be carried out properly within the proper channels of leadership, within the proper channels of quote-unquote law enforcement, and the plenty of those in the Torah. But sometimes when the leadership fails to do its job, then people have to stand up and protect the Jewish destiny, which is exactly what Pinchas did. And in the next Torah portion, we will find out is that he gets from God a covenant of peace. Now, being a vigilante, being a quote-unquote fanatic extremist, somebody who takes law into their own hands, does not come with a peaceful nature. This is usually a person who has a nature of violence, a person who is not calm. But God says, Pinchas, I know you did what you did to protect the Jewish people. This act did not come from your violent nature. This act did not come from being disturbed. You did this for the future, for the destiny of the Jewish people, and the reward is a covenant of peace. So before anybody takes law into their own hands, and before anybody thinks that they can be violent, before anybody thinks that um, they are the extremist leader who needs to take law into their own hands, they have to ask themselves, do they feel in a peace? Are they doing this to promote peace? Are they doing this to promote strife? It's a very delicate question. And I think in today's day and age, nobody can go ahead and take law into their own hands and be violent. 
But what is this value that Pinchas went to protect? And what is this advice that Balak gets from Bilam to seduce the men of Israel? What Bilam understands is that there's one thing that God hates most of all, and that is the breakdown of the family unit. The Jewish people is a people of the family, and the Jewish faith is the faith of the family. And we've talked about this on the show multiple times. Judaism is not a religion of the synagogue. Judaism is a religion of the home. The cardinal mitzvot, the cardinal commandments of Judaism, would turn somebody into quote-unquote religious are the laws of Shabbat, of kosher, of family, clarity, of intimacy, of holidays, of Jewish education. People who are careful to observe these laws generally create a Jewish environment in their home. And all of these laws are observed in the house, not in the synagogue. You can have a Jewish home with Shabbat and Kashrut and kosher intimacy and Jewish education and holidays without the synagogue. Or you can have people go to the synagogue and not observe this at home. And generally, this will not have longevity. Judaism of the synagogue, divorced from the home, does not have longevity. Unfortunately, we have seen this in the reform movement, where most of religion happens in the temple, a little of religion happens in the home. There's just not enough pull. There's not enough gravity there to pass this kind of religion to the next generation, to make it relevant and meaningful. And on the other hand, you can have a Chabad couple, a rabbi and a rabbitson, will go out into a destination with no Jewish community, no synagogue, no house of worship, and they will just set up a Chabad house. They'll set up a house where the Torah is observed, and people come, people feel attracted to that. And then based on that home, a synagogue will be created later on, a community will form later on. We've also seen this during COVID. During COVID, the synagogues were closed, the schools were closed, the communities were closed, but people kept observing Judaism inside their home, many for months on end. And nothing detracted from the quality of their Judaism. In some families, in fact, people felt that their Judaism was enhanced because they had more time and mental energy to spend with their families. So first and foremost, Judaism is a religion of the home. And Bilam understood that. So his weapon against the Jewish people was to break down the Jewish family. How did he do that? By bringing in the Midianite and Moabite women to seduce the men and pull them away from their families. And he understood that if that happens, that will be the breakdown of the Jewish family, the breakdown of the Jewish people, and there is nothing that God hates more than that. So when Pinchas went out to kill this princess and this head of the tribe of Shimon, he understood that what he was doing was protecting the essence of 
the Jewish destiny. It was a one-time act, but it was so extreme. The situation was so extreme that it called for extreme measures. How did Bilam get to this idea? How do we see this throughout the Torah portion, throughout the story? In the blessings of Bilam, the ones that he bestows on the Jewish people, we also understand what he wanted to curse about. He wanted to curse the Jewish family. He wanted to curse the relationship inside the Jewish family, but God turned his curses into blessings. So from the blessing, we understand the curse. And there are two blessings that I would like to um, look at that uh, really point this out. So he says in the first blessing, as I see from the mountaintops, gaze on them from the heights, there is a people that dwells apart, not reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? Our sages explain that when Bilam talks about the mountaintops and the heights, he's referring to our forefathers and foremothers. The root of the Jewish strength, the root of the Jewish people, are our forefathers and foremothers. The heritage, the tradition that is passed down for generations is where our faith and our nation is rooted. Without this heritage and through the passing of tradition from generation to generation, there is no Jewish people. What makes Judaism so special and different from every other religion is the fact that Judaism is the only religion to claim mass revelation. Judaism is the only religion to claim that God has revealed himself to millions of people at Mount Sinai after the exodus from Egypt. Every single Jew was present at Mount Sinai and saw the revelation of God with his own or her own eyes. Every other religion claims that revelation happened to one person and that one person brought the story of revelation to the masses. But not so in Judaism. And in fact, our entire claim to fame and the credibility of Judaism is based on the fact that our forefathers and foremothers, all of them, saw the revelation in Sinai and passed it on from generation to generation to generation until it reached our days. So we live at a time of the breakdown of the family. We live at a time when parents don't really pass down traditions to their children. But even two or three generations ago, parents would pass down traditions that they received from their parents. And so we say that over the past 3,000 years, the Jewish people have been passing this tradition from one generation to another to another. Recently, I heard a rabbi say that 3,000 years is really only about 50 pairs of tefillin. A pair of tefillin lasts for about 60, 70, 100 years, and it passed down from grandfather to father to grandson. So from the generation of the giving of the Torah until today, one family passed down only about 50 pairs of tefillin. 3,000 years sounds like a huge amount of time, but 50 pairs of tefillin is not so long, or 50 
pairs of candlesticks, okay, that a mother passes on to her grandmother. We Many of us have items that have been in our family for 100 years. So think about it. In one family, 30 items, each one spanning 100 years, is what separates between us and the giving of the Torah at Sinai. I have in my house a Kiddush cup that is about 100 years old, and I got it from my mother, who got it from her father, who got it from his father. So this Kiddush cup is about 100 years old. We will probably pass it on to the next generation when the time comes. And this is the essence of Jewish continuity. So when Balaam wanted to curse the Jews, what he wanted to curse was a root and connection to our foremothers and forefathers, this family-based faith and tradition. But of course, he couldn't. He couldn't curse. So he, instead of blessed, as I see them from the mountaintops and I gaze on them from the heights, our forefathers and foremothers are the high places of the mountaintops and the heights that we'll look back at, we'll look up to. These are the people we'll look up to, the tradition that we'll look up on. There's a beautiful story that was shared um, about Rabbi Hutner. Rabbi Hutner was tra- traveling with his grandson from the United States to Israel. He was one of the preeminent rabbis in the United States during the 60s and 70s. And next to him was sitting a professor of biology, also a Jew. So the grandson of Rabbi Hudna would come every few minutes and ask, Grandfather, what do you need? Can I get you a cup of water? Can I get you a cup of tea? And he kept being very attentive to the grandfather. So this professor of biology sitting next to Rabbi Hudner said, I'm really wondering how your grandson takes such good care of you. He's so attentive. He cares about you so much. I know that if I was traveling with my grandson, he would be stuck in his book and his newspaper. He wouldn't be coming every five minutes to ask what's happening with me. So Rabbi Hudner said, I'll explain why. You're a professor of biology and you believe in evolution. That means that every coming younger generation is one step removed from the monkeys. So in thinking about that, your grandson is more developed than you are. You are closer to a monkey than he is. Why should he serve you? But if you look at the world through our perspective, I, the grandfather, am once two steps closer to the giving of the Torah and to Adam Arishon, the first man who was created by God. So my grandson looks up to me as somebody who is closer, two steps closer, to the giving of the Torah. And this is why he respects me. This is the difference. And this is a quintessential quality of Judaism, where religion of tradition, and it's our job to pass the tradition from one generation to another. And I want you to ask yourself, what are the traditions that your family had? What are the traditions that your mother, your father had, your grandparents had? The words of wisdom that they once said, the stories that they passed from previous generations, maybe special family traditions, observances, sometimes quirky, sometimes interesting. What are these traditions? Maybe you can write them down so that they don't get lost. And if you have children or grandchildren or nephews or 
nieces, the next generation, what are the words of wisdom, practices, thoughts, traditions, items, heirlooms that you can pass down to the next generation. And maybe you can create your own family traditions, things that you do today so that your kids will have this tradition to pass down. Um, my family, my parents are not observant. My grandparents were not observant. 70 years of communism wiped out a lot of the Jewish observance and tradition. But we do still have family traditions and we pass those down. And in my family, I started certain traditions that I do that now my children, my married children, do in their homes. For example, there is a tradition of making schlissel challah, a key-shaped challah, the Shabbat after Passover. It's a Hasidic custom that is supposed to symbolize as gula, a practice that brings um, monetary value and prosperity into the home. Now, I'm not doing it necessarily for the gula of it, but I am doing it because it is beautiful, colorful, visual tradition that makes Judaism fun and real. And this is the tradition that I started in my home. And after doing it for about 10 years now, I have two married daughters and both of them are doing this in their home. And I'm sure that one day their kids will do it in their home. This is a kind of tradition that makes things colorful and interesting. And this is how we bring Judaism into the home. The probably special Devri Torah, words of Torah, ideas that we share at our Pesach Seder every single year. And my kids know to say what their mom will say at a certain point or their dad will say at a certain point in the Pesach Seder. And I think one day when they have a Pesach Seder of their own, they will say, oh, my mom or my dad used to say that. And then they pass on those words. There's certain statements that my grandfather had that now I share with my kids. For example, my grandfather used to say, whoever eats alone chokes. It's a value of not being self-centered and selfish. But it's an interesting, quirky way of putting that. And by saying that a lot in my own home and attributing that to my grandfather, I created tradition that my kids can take forward and say, oh, our great-grandfather used to say that, whoever eats alone chokes. And that creates a family tradition, a dynamic, a family tradition of values that our kids and us, we know we're rooted in a tradition. We're not here alone in the world. We come from somewhere. We come with a baggage, not just of emotional issues, but we come with a baggage of tradition of wisdom, of beauty, of connection. And this connection and these roots span generations, centuries, and millennia back to our forefathers and foremothers. And our forefathers and foremothers are actually the holiest, most special people in the world. The Ramban, a classic commentator on the Torah, says that the holiest place in Jewish history, in world history, was the tent of our forefathers and foremothers. And that tent had values, and that tent had traditions, 
and that tent had features that were all of their own. So there are four miracles that happened in the tent that the sages tell us. The tent of Sarah, and then those same miracles, features passed on to the tent of Rivka and Rachel and Leah. And these are the laws that we pass on for generations and that we bring into our tent, quote-unquote, today. So one blessing, one um, miracle that was in the tent of Sarah was that there was always blessing in her dough. She would make dough for her guests and there was always blessing in her dough. So what that means is that the food, the bread, the physical um, side of life in a home is full of blessing and awareness of God. Now, I don't know how many of you bake bread, how many of you make challah. It's actually not so difficult after you get the hang of it, but the smell, the sight, the fact that there is homemade bread, it makes so much impression on the family, on the kids. When you walk into a house that has the smell of bread, of freshly baked bread, when you see these beautiful shapes, the loaves that you make, it really creates an experience. One experience I have from my grandmother's home is the smell of celery in her soup. And when I walk into a house and there's a smell of soup with celery, it right away carries me back to my grandmother's home. I think each and every one of us has a smell or a sight that carries us back to our grandparents and grandparents. And we need to create that for our kids. There's certain foods that create that experience more than others, and the smell of freshly baked bread is one of them. And through that bread, there's so much tradition, love, wisdom we can pass. And that's the idea of the blessing in, in the dough. And there's another idea in the blessing in the dough. Think about it. Dough is something that you have to need actively. You need to actively work on it. But then you just let it be. When you let it be and you let it rest, this is when it doubles in size. This is when the blessing really comes to it. And I thought of it this past Shabbat. This is such an important point for our generation. We're so busy running around, working, doing things. We don't take the time to stop and think. And if you observe Shabbat, Shabbat really makes you stop, rest, and just be. Just like the holiday or the bread dough, it just has to be. And when it just is with no action, this is when it doubles. Ironically, we really double, we really grow, we're really bringing blessing into our life. We go so much farther when we take the time to rest on Shabbat, to just be, not do, not think, not run anywhere, just be. And this is probably one of the ideas behind challah. We bake challah on Friday for Shabbat, and this dough that just is, and this is how it grows, doubles, carries blessing, is an idea of how we can bring more blessing into our life by just being, just by resting on Shabbat. So this is one miracle that was in the tents of our foremothers, and it's carried over to our own homes. The second blessing is the blessing of 
um, a cloud tied to the tent. And the cloud tied to the tent symbolizes purity, purity of intimacy. Intimacy can be the purest, most holy experience for a couple, or it can be the most downgraded, uh, strifeous, problematic experience for a couple. And the question is, where do we take this physicality? Do we take it to places of greatness, the places of connection, of love? Do we sanctify them through the laws of family intimacy? Or do we downgrade them and bring out the animal lust? And both options are available. It's all our choice. So our forefathers and foremothers took physical intimacy to the highest heights of purity to such an extent that the cloud of God was tied to their tent. And this is something that's carried on from generation to generation into our tents as well. And the third miracle that is mentioned by the rabbis is the miracle of a candle being lit from Shabbat to Shabbat. The Shabbat candles that Sarah would light at the start of every Shabbat would continue to be lit until the next Shabbat. And the idea of that is that awareness of godliness, the awareness of holiness that is so inherent in Shabbat permeated the entire week. Now, this is something that we can create in our own homes as well. First of all, there's a way to set up your Shabbat candles to light, to uh, be lit for almost the entire Shabbat. But the question is, do we then carry this awareness of Shabbat into the weekday? For example, when you go out on Wednesday or Thursday to shop for Shabbos, do you actually say, Likvot Shabbat Kodesh? Everything I'm buying, I'm buying for the honor of Shabbat. When you find something really nice, a really nice piece of clothing, a really nice piece of food, a nice bouquet of flowers, whatever it is, something that's really special, to say, oh, this special thing I'm setting aside for Shabbos. This is how we carry the awareness of Shabbos into our work week. And on the other hand, when we are in the work week, when we're working, when we're doing things, do we carry the awareness of God's presence? That everything we do really comes from God. It's just not, not just our work, but God who's giving us the blessing Shabbat, Shabbos is the source of all blessing and it gives off of that blessing into the week, but only if we carry that awareness. So in the tent of Sarai Menu, the light of Shabbat candles, the light of Shabbat permeated the entire week. And the question is, how we can we take that experience of light, of family, of connection, of rest, of calm into our week so that these values are not a once a week kind of activity. And there is another miracle that was mentioned in the um, sages writing. Um, there are a few variations, but in one of the versions, there's another miracle that was mentioned that the tents of our foremothers and forefathers were open from all four sides. There were um, ways to go into the tent from every direction. And that symbolizes hospitality and kindness and giving. Are we the kind of people whose homes are open to others? Yes, this is hard in today's Western culture and certainly 
in the United States and certainly in places when there is crime and there is so little trust among people and there's so many con artists. But even having said that, are we in a place of openness? Are we in a place of hospitality? Are we in a place where our homes and businesses and hearts are open to other people? And yes, there are people out there who can take advantage of us and obviously we have to protect ourselves. But we cannot lose trust in other people. When we lose trust in others, the person we hurt most is actually ourselves. So how do we turn our homes, our places of work, our own hearts into places open from all sides that are open to other people, that are open to interactions? So these are some of the values of the Jewish family that Bilam and Balak wanted to fight against. And the way to do that for them was to separate the family, to separate the men from the women, to seduce the men with Midianite and Moabite women, and then those women would bring out the idols of their worship to the men. And this is the message of this week's Torah portion. The only way to go forward with Judaism is through the family. This is the basic unit of the Jewish people, and this is the basic unit that creates Jewish tradition, Jewish continuity. So I want to leave off by asking, how are you going to strengthen your Jewish family going forward? What are the traditions you want to create? And even if you're alone and you are not married, that doesn't mean you cannot have a family. It doesn't mean that for the time being, while you're alone, you cannot have traditions. You cannot perceive your home to be a home, a family even if for the time being your family of one. How can you bring that tradition? How can you bring that Judaism into your home? There was a time that I studied in um, university in the United States before I was married. And yes, I was a family of one. But that did not mean that on Shabbat I could not have a meal, a festive meal. Uh, that did not mean that on Shabbat I couldn't sing, just like all Jewish families sing. And if you have friends around you that are also alone, how can you bring them together and create more of a sense of community so that nobody is alone? Everybody deserves to live in a family unit that passes the tradition that we received from our forefathers and foremothers into the next generation. So these are some th thoughts that I suggested you can think about during this coming week and certainly during the Shabbat as we read Parshat Balak and leave you off with a blessing that the legacy, the tradition you leave for the next generation is at least even more colorful, rich, and sweet as the tradition that we received from the previous generations. Have a great week. News from the Torah. This was Leah Roni. Bye-bye. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. 
Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 